Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello everybody and welcome to The Voices in Our Heads Our buttholes a lot of the times, huh? That's why a lot of us are sad I'm your host, Christina Marie Hutchinson. I'm happy to be here. Um, You're listening to this well after I recorded it, a couple weeks after. But I'm recording this on August 8th. That's a Lionsgate portal. And if you're not a deeply spiritual bitch, you're probably like, wait, what's that? And I didn't know what it was either. Um, But I'm going to read it to you. And maybe you can reflect on the day that you had on August 8th to see if anything weird happened. You know how sometimes you'll wake up and you're like, just everything will go wrong. Like you want to do something like you want to like tie your shoe and then your shoelace breaks and the universe is like, or, you know, you want to go to your favorite restaurant and it's closed and the universe is like, Oh, you're like, Jesus, can I get a break? And then you Google it and you're like, of course, Mercury's in retrograde. The worst is when you think it is and you swear it is because everything's going wrong and it's not. And you're like, oh, shit, that's just my energy. But today's the Lionsgate portal, the day that I record this. And just to give you a little insight, I found this article by Lisa Stardust. That was probably the name she was given at birth. Um, Every year on August 8th, an astrological event called the Lionsgate portal opens in the sky. Astrologers consider this an opportune day for manifestation or concentrating on what you want to make a reality. And what I would love to make a reality is I want to win the $1.5 billion jackpot of mega millions because I would use that money to, I'll give it to my friends and family that I still talk to, but I would also um, do an immersive theater venue um, and do artist grants and fly everybody from around the world um, and create one of the best-selling shows in New York City. Um, If you're listening to this and you're a billionaire, um, you could also invest, okay? So DM me at Christina Hutch. But anyway, that's what I'm trying to manifest. And I just want that on record in case it happens when it happens. I can show you the footage and go, see, we can all do this. There's enough for everybody. There's enough treasures and money and excitement and adventure for everybody. There really is. Don't come from a place of fear. Come from a place of love, you cunt. Um... Charlotte Kirsten, trauma psychologist, of course, trauma, defined manifestation to today as the belief that you can intentionally create your reality through beliefs or pattern actions. Think of the opening of the Lionsgate portal as a day reserved for the practice of manifestation, a cosmic, oh, I accidentally wore this like cosmic shirt today. Maybe that's the Lionsgate portal like dressing me, um, a cosmic pat on the back, um, which that's exciting, Mikey. So you got to you got to manifest today, okay? <laughs> what are you gonna, What do you want to manifest? What do I want to manifest? Wow, I wasn't expecting to be asked that question. I ask the tough questions, baby. Um, well, to me- to men, this is a tough question. I feel like you guys don't think about that. Yeah, well, I don't. Know. I would like to manifest. I, you know what? I'd actually like to manifest. What? I would like to manifest um, some balance in my Ooh. life. Ooh. Yeah. Isn't that a very uh, uh, thoughtful? <laughs> I love that for you. I love that for you. Um, in your work life, in your personal life, or in Everything. your whole life? Just the, just the whole life, I think I need a little more balance between work. You know, obviously, we're trying to get things going in the studio here, so mm-hmm. there's a little more... Uh, I'm, I'm here a lot. I'm, I'm working on a lot of things, and I'm happy about it, uh, so nobody should cry for me. <laughs> but at the same time, I would like to be able to kind of like take a Saturday off every now and then. And you don't like, take any Saturdays off? I mean, I, I, I take like portions of the weekend off. Lame. <laughs> I got a lot of work to do, man. You only got one life, Mikey. <laughs> you only have a certain amount of energy per day. Yeah, I You know. know what I mean? Yeah. I want that for you. Well, manifest that balance, baby. Um, so yeah, Lionsgate Portal. I'm working with this spiritual woman who uh, – I have another show called Wait What that's coming out in the fall. And uh, I was put in touch with this woman. Um, and I want we were to potentially interview her. And we got to talking. And I was like, I fucking love this lady. She's fucking wacky and weird, just like me. And we hit it off right away. So I was like, oh, let's just work together. Like, I'll pay, like, I'll buy one of your packages. Cause then when, when the time I interview you, I'll have like a more in depth interview with you. But really, I just used that as an excuse because I just really wanted to work with her. And so she gave me a heads up about the Lionsgate portal thing. She's like, just so you know, it's a really intense day. 
blah, shit. So just set an intention. She said, don't hold space for others. Like, you know, and like, like my Patreon therapy thing, like, don't do that. You know, just kind of just have a, a clear focus. And she said, you know, perhaps the night before the night after eight, eight, weird stuff can happen. And I was like, okay. And so last night I, I, oh, I just came back from California. Shout out to California. Great state. Great state. A lot of tents on those streets. My God, a lot of homeless tents. Um, but I had a great time and I did six one hour sets and I fucking crushed. Okay. Crushed. Felt on top of the world. And then I came back to New York on Sunday. And then the next day, Monday, I had a spot at City Winery, which is a bougie venue. And it was a sold out show. I looked at the lineup and it was Mark Norman, Ari Shafir, Matt Broussard. It was just a bunch of killers. And I was like, uh, I had this sinking feeling of like, I don't think I'm going to do well on this show, which was weird because I just came back from an hour, all these hour sets, killing Usually when I do that and I do a 15 in New York, I'm like, fucking like taking candy from a baby. I have never been so hated on stage as I was last night. Like truly, I I checked my nose for boogers and my fly to see if it was down because it felt like it all. I was the only woman on the lineup and I usually don't lean towards the I don't know if this audience likes female comics. Because I think that's like a lazy, like, go. I don't want to get myself used to that and go, well, it's just because they don't like women and that I don't get better. You know, that's not going to make me better because um, I can't change my gender. I mean, I could, but I don't want to. So, um, so I got there and the audience just, they loved every other comic because the green room was right by the stage and I could hear the roarious laughter, just uproar, just such, such laughter. And then I walked out on stage and it was like a record scratched and everyone was like, oh, why are you here? And I felt it so hard right away. And then it made me, I've been doing this, I'm doing standup for a while. So I'm pretty good at, you know, digging myself out of a hole, but their energy was so, we hate this bitch. Truly. I was like, God damn. And I got really nervous um, and it showed and they were like, oh, look at her, look at her fucking drown in front of us. Women are funny or whatever they were thinking. And, um, I knew my closing joke was going to get them, but man, it, it was almost like, I didn't think they deserved it. But I walked off stage and I, and I, and I had a conversation with the guy who booked me. I'm like, damn dude, I just bombed. I bombed so hard. It was funny. That's how hard I bombed. Like I, I was just watching myself bomb on stage. It was the longest 15 minute set of my life. And I, I texted, um, this woman that I'm working with Carla and I was like, Hey, I don't know if this counts as like the Lionsgate portal fucking with you, but I just went on stage and was so like, I felt hated. I haven't felt that since I started comedy. Um, when I was just this meek little, please like me an audience a stand-up audience will always sense if you the comic wants to be loved and they hate you for that because they recognize that in themselves and they're like, well, fuck you. Um, but I, I told her how the set went and she goes, you know what? And she offered me this perspective and she gets like downloads and stuff. And I, I, if, if it, the download resonates with me, put it in my pocket. If it doesn't, I'm like, eh, okay. But this download that she got really resonated. She was like, I think you were planting a seed in the audience's subconscious mind. Cause she's like, I don't know your material. I don't know if it's like deeper. Or you talk about like bigger concepts, which I do. Cause your girl is emotionally intelligent. And I bring that to the stage. And she was like, I think subconsciously you planted like an important seed for everybody in the audience. And so they might've hated you consciously, but subconsciously you did them a solid and you sacrificed your, um, you sacrificed uh, 15 minutes of your own confidence to give that seed to them. And I was like, you know what? I'll fucking take it. I'll fucking take it. Happy lines. everybody. You're welcome for my sacrifice audience at city winery. There was one girl that came out of the show after I, there was two comics after me and she was like, you were really great. And I wanted to be like, what? Did, were you in the room? But she sounded genuine. And then I was outside and I st- smoked a cigarette because I was like, that was pretty stressful. And um, this other, this w- two women and a son who was young, I don't know why he's at a comedy show, um, 
were like left the show early and they were talking about how bad I was. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. This could be a moment where I reveal myself and be like, I've heard you the whole time, bitch. That's rude. Say it to my face. You know, cause a lot of people, they got balls when the person they're talking about isn't around, you know? And I'm one of those people. So I totally get it. But I didn't do that. And I was like, oh my God, am I growing and maturing? <laughs> the answer is yes. So happy Lionsgate portal. Um, I was very excited that my entire sense of self did not crumble from how hard I bombed. If that, if that happened four years ago, I would have crumbled. I would have just been like, I don't know if I should do this anymore. Um, but that didn't happen. So I was like, you know what, universe? Thank you for that bomb. I learned that I could stand in my own stormy seas despite how I'm doing. And my self-worth is not dependent upon what an audience thinks of me. Right? I don't know. Then I got my period this morning. and I'm just, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Bleeding a lot. Bleeding a lot. Not on your chair, Michael. It's okay. Thank goodness. Um, Something really cool happened to me today. During my drum lesson, I got a text. I think I've talked about my eyebrows on this show. Uh, I'd certainly talked about them on Guys Who Fucked, um, uh, where, you know, when I was in eighth grade, um, I wanted to get my eyebrows waxed because I was like, maybe if I look really as hot as possible, people will love me. Genuinely thought that until like a year ago, six months ago. And so I had my mom who has tremors, meaning she shakes, wax my eyebrows and she waxed them off. She waxed them all off. I looked and it wasn't that cute, thin 90s wax, waxed eyebrow look. It was lightning bolts going opposite directions. I looked confused and shocked when I, when it was just my resting face. That's, these eyebrows were so bad, but I, I was so good, uh, you know, at convincing myself that things were okay when they weren't. So I was like, it's okay, Christina, you're still beautiful. You're still a little angel. You're just, you have eyebrows that are a little confused. Right. Um, and so Today, during my drum lesson, I got out and I got a text. This woman named Taryn. So I have a makeup artist friend named Aya. Shout out, Aya. She recommended this woman named Taryn who does microblading for eyebrows. Microblading is basically tattooing eyebrows on. I got it years ago and the woman was pretty conservative and it, it helped. But this woman's wait list was so long. So I went in for a consultation I left that office instead of using the tattoo gun that she would normally use, gun, needle, that she would normally use to microblade. She just used like an eyebrow pencil and she did my brows and she showed me in the mirror and I was like, am I an Oscar winning actress on the red carpet? I cannot tell you how much hotter I looked and felt after she got a hold of my brows. And that was two years ago, baby cakes, two years ago. And I got a text getting out of my drum lesson. And it said, Hey, we have a last minute cancellation. I know you've been on the, the wait list for tearing to microblade your eyebrows for quite some time. And I said to myself, yes, it's been two years. I've been counting down. I thought you guys forgot about me. And she said, we have an opening tomorrow at 1130. And I said, see you there, bitch. Um, I'm so excited for this woman to tattoo my face. Um, I had to cancel three meetings so I could get this done. Uh, but Hey, priorities is priorities. You know, Taryn's busy. She's a busy lady. She's good at what she does. So next time I see you guys on this YouTube video, I will have stunning frames around my eyeballs. I'm really excited. In other news, I freaking, I babysat a baby for an hour. You know, Casey and Robbie. Oh yes, of course. So and they their live, baby. Yes. Goldie. What a great name for a baby. I mean, come on. They live in the same building as I do and they live uh, a couple floors down and she texted me, Hey, can you, are you around this date? Could you watch Goldie for an hour? And I was like, yes, I can. I absolutely can. And so I was very much looking forward to this and she, they come over to drop the baby off with the mat. I had Kevin and I was like, Oh, I get to experience like, Oh, what's Kevin going to be like around a baby? That'll be fun to see, you know? And this baby is fresh. She's maybe like two months. Yes. Two months old or something like that. Newborn, fresh yeah. baby. Cannot hold her neck up. That's how fresh she is, okay? And so they brought her over. I was like, oh my goodness, so cute. And they were like, okay, we've never really left her with someone she doesn't know well. I've seen her in passing in the hallways. 
the, the baby, but like we didn't get enough quality time. So for the first two minutes, it was pure bliss. They left two minutes in. I'm like, this is awesome. I was making her laugh. I was rubbing her belly. I was doing puppet shows. Kevin was trying to, Kevin thought that her toys were his toys. And so I had to, I'm like, um, so that was a little distracting. But then three minutes into us hanging out, me and Goldie, the gal just starts screaming bloody murder. And I was like, okay, okay. I knew that was going to happen. And I have this, you know, I know so much about childhood trauma and the nervous system of a human, including the nervous system of a baby and what, you know, babies need to be grounded. And they're very, you know, if they feel something, they're going to fucking tell you. You never have to worry about a baby being passive aggressive. It's one of the many reasons why I like babies. They're just going to be honest with you. You don't have to go, does this mean something else? No, they're fucking real because they're fresh and they haven't been tainted by the world yet. So beautiful little Goldie just starts screaming. And I was like, okay, okay. So I did the, Casey gave me a bottle and I was like, do you want that? And she's like, no. I'm like, okay, got got it, got it, copy that, no bottle. And then I I was like, is your diaper wet? And I was, I was sniffing her ass to see if there was poop. (laughs) I was like, oh no, I'm sorry. Open that. I don't know. It's just awkward. And, uh, there, I don't, she didn't, her diaper was still clean and I was like, okay. And so I started rocking her and dancing with her. And there was maybe one and a half second moments where she would forget that her mom and dad weren't there. And like, she would see like a shiny object and I would get really excited. I'm like, Oh yeah, well look at that. And then she'll go, she was like, Oh, right. My parents are here. Who the fuck is this bitch? (gasps) And so I was like, okay, okay. And I was so good at remaining very calm. Usually like when my dog barks, when I vacuum, my dog barks and his bark is shrieking. And so that, that irritates me. Like, and I, and I, but I know, don't take it personally, Christina. It's just your dog barking because of the vacuum, but it just, ah, it just, it's jarring. And a baby screaming is also jarring. But I, but I looked at her and I was like, you know what? Honestly, girl, I just started talking to her like she was an adult. I was like, I really respect how, how honest you are with your emotions. And I, I feel like I'm emoting by seeing you emoting. So that's pretty impressive. And I was like, it's hard to be human, isn't it? You know, your mom and dad, they're coming back. They're just going to be gone an hour. And she just kept screaming and screaming. And then I had her sit up at my piano and I was playing Beyonce on the piano. And there was a two seconds where she was like, wait, what? And then she remembered that her parents weren't here. And she was like, ah. and so I was like, oh, music. It just dawned on me. I was like, play Sam Cooke. I don't know why. I was just like, yeah, play Sam Cooke. He's one of the most beautiful voices on this planet Earth. So I played Sam Cooke and she was like, Fuck you, I don't like this. And then I played Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. And I watched this baby. This is probably the first time she's ever heard it. I watched her go ah, from ah, to, wait, what's this? I'm like, oh, girl, you like Jeff Buckley? Hell yeah, I fucks with you. And so I was rocking her and I was, you know, rocking my body in weird ways, holding her. And then she was calming down and I go, okay, let's put you on your back now. And I can like make fun noises and do puppet shows. And the second I laid her down, she was like, no, I'm like, okay, okay, we're going to dance. We're going to dance. So for the last 15 minutes of my time with Goldie, she uh, was very calm. I played Jeff Buckley's hallelujah five times and she, and then Casey and Robbie walked in as she was sleeping on my shoulder. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a baby whisperer. I figured it out eventually. And so they walked in, they're like, oh my God, was it? Oh my God. I'm like, yeah, she was crying the whole time. She was, she missed you guys. Um, but I think I did a really good job. So, um, so it was nice to experience the scream crying side of a baby and to know, I mean, look, it's way easier when it's your friend's baby and it's not yours, but I handled it really well. I did not get even a little bit irritated or frustrated. So that's pretty cool. So maybe I would be a good mom. I don't know. Um, Guys, Aliens is real. Mikey, I don't know if you saw uh, the fucking conference. Just uh, verifying everything I've been saying about UFOs and uh, UAPs. Um, But there was a whistleblower. God bless him. Whistleblower daddy. Worked in the government. um, And there was a giant uh, testimony in front of Congress. Um, This article is from the AP. Uh, The U.S. is concealing a longstanding program that retrieves and reverse engineers unidentified flying objects. A former Air Force intelligence officer testified Wednesday to Congress. The Pentagon has denied his claims. The Pentagon is really acting like an abusive ass boyfriend right now. Okay, it's the movie Gaslight. Stop it. 
Stop it, Pentagon. You're fucking, you're a bunch of cunts. Just, just, can you just acknowledge, we all know it's true. And then you got a guy that was one of you guys saying, hey, it's true. And then you guys are like, no, it's not. Well, guess what? You're a dipshit. This is my last word. No. That's why I say to you. Um, it's very, it was a very exciting testimony. And I, one of the most enjoyable parts to me was all the members of Congress trying to figure out who the fuck has what information and how do they get access to it? And the guy that testified was like, he was giving them some answers of like, you know, I, but he, the con- the Congress people were like, how do I get access to this information? And he was straight up like, I don't fucking know. And so a lot of this three hour testimony was just them going, where, where did it was like, where did I put my keys? You know, like they're trying to figure out in their own government that they're a part of, that they're a lawmaker in, uh, they don't have access to this UFO mm-hmm. shit, which is so crazy. And it's been repeated many times in books that I've read about aliens written by very reputable motherfuckers. And YouTube videos about aliens where there's talking heads, very reputable motherfuckers. And, and this, it's been, it's been repeated enough times by enough separate people that I'm like, this has to be true. Everything you've seen in Star Trek, we can do. So we have reverse engineered alien technology. That means we can beam, we can go from here to there and like fucking flash. And we can time travel, allegedly. I mean, sign me up. I want to go to the future. Um, But yeah, that was really exciting. So I just wanted to remind everybody that aliens are real and they're coming. And um, if you need a volunteer aliens, again, you know where I live because you have all the technology to find that out. And I really think we could be good friends. I did, when I watched the movie E.T. as a kid, I was so moved by that movie in a way that didn't make sense to me. I'm like, why? I was six. I'm like, why the fuck? I bawled when I saw that movie. And it was weird. I felt homesick. Maybe as if I was like an alien or something. I don't know. That'd be so cool. Um, And I rewatched E.T. two years ago or a year ago. What is time? It doesn't exist. But I rewatched E.T. about a year ago and I had the same emotional reaction. And I'm like, maybe it's because I always knew aliens is real. I don't know. Who knows? But I would like to interrupt this broadcast to give you some fuckboy theater. you wish you were a minstrel you know um okay here's a conversation between a man named anas and a lady he starts off by saying oh my god how old is your pup she's a year and a half i got her a few months ago Ugh, i may just buy a pupper but my landlord would flip will you come to the pound and help me pick one out ha ha and then she doesn't respond And then two days later, he says, just sucked a cock for the first time. What what are men thinking? What are men thinking? Okay, this is between a woman and a fuck boy named Darian. Who is, yes, he is white. You'll know why I say that in a minute. How do you take your music? I take mine black. How do you know? That's exactly what I was looking for. Must be made to be. I think it means meant to be. It's gotta be. And then nothing happens. And then two hours later, he says, to be honest, your face is turtleish. Very cute. (laughs) Do you want to get laid or not, dude? Oh, my fucking God. Okay. Now, this is a conversation between uh, a woman who's probably an angel and perfect and a fuckboy piece of shit named Zach. Hey, so do you want to get married or what? As long as you'll sign a prenup. 
Yeah, man. What are you fucking kidding me? I don't care about that. I want a fucking teammate. Sorry, that sounded crass. I meant I want to be weighed and not found wanting, assigned intrinsic value, and uh, yeah, I want to confide and be close. Yeah. Super duper crave closeness. Sorry for inundating. If you want a teammate, join a soccer league. Right, but no, I disagree. I want Sororo fraternal communion with a partner too. I don't know what the fuck he meant by that. I made that, oh, I made that word up, but it seems like what you meant or what I interpreted you to mean. What do you want? I mean, rationally, like, where do you find meaning? Because I feel pretty divorced. I feel like I've been conditioned to accept a politeness that kind of assigns a price tag to emotional nakedness and a premium to how effectively I can insulate myself. I don't want to really do that. That's kind of where I am. Oh, my fucking God. And then this guy, this guy's, this is a, this is a screenshot of this guy's Hinge bio. And on Hinge, you can answer prompts. And one of the prompts that Sean, piece of shit, Sean, chose to answer was, don't hate me if I, okay? And he said, don't hate me if I spank the communism out of you. Nice. I love that. (laughs) Oh, God, Mikey. That's so fucking stupid. Um, Okay, so this woman posted a photo of her. So this guy's commenting on a photo. She's in a bathing suit, a one piece bathing suit. And she's got, she can see my, like, it was like, it's a cute pose, you know? I dig it. Yeah. Super cute. She got, she's super fit. She's super cute. And he says, that thigh ass thing is so cool. Big fan. And then she goes, thigh ass thing. And then he goes, yeah, the crease. It's a fussy. No, no, no. Fussy? No, no, no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Um, okay. Is that it? Okay. And then last one. Uh, this guy on his profile said he was married. And she goes, oh, wait. Is that because he has a wedding ring? Yeah. Wow. He does have a wedding ring on. Okay. No. I know he doesn't say it in his profile that he's married, but he clearly has a wedding ring on in this picture that it seems like he's showing off, you know? So the woman, who's probably perfect... Angel's never done anything weird or mean in her life. She says to this piece of shit, dipshit, married? And then he says, picky? And then she says, LMAO, is that picky? And he goes, how much do you care? And then she goes, a lot. And thank you. Thank you. It's a really terrible terrain out there, guys. If you found love, hold them tight. If you found love, you hold them fucking tight. Okay? Okay? I'm reading a lot of books lately, as I do. I always read like four books at a time, which I love because it's, they're all about different stuff. And um, it helps me, I don't know. But one of the books I'm reading is about, it's called, uh, it's called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. It's an amazing book. And the, the author spent five years researching like our attention spans and how they're shrinking. And uh, he's like, you, multitasking is a myth. We have convinced ourselves that we are capable of multitasking, but the reality is the way our brains are structured, we can only focus on one task at a time. So we're not focusing on multiple tasks at a time. We are switching from task to task to task to task. And the energy that it takes your brain to back out of the task that you're doing and then pull into this new task real quick and then do that for 10 minutes and back out of that and go back to the task you were doing. You have to re-remind yourself, oh wait, what was I doing? Which, I mean, I read that and I was like, God damn, that's like my whole fucking life. And the amount of energy that that takes, your brain, it just, you won't be able to perform as well and your creativity goes down the fucking drain. And so I'm really loving this book. I'm only, I'm very, I'm in the very beginnings of this book, so I can't, you know, say anything else to it, but my God, this shit resonates. And one of the stories he talked about, he was saying, wait, I want to, I'm going to fucking quote it. I don't want to misquote this book. Um, It's the Homer and Ulysses. Wait, Ulysses is, what's Ulysses from the Odyssey, right? Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. One second, you guys. I'm going to find it. I'm prepared. Fuck you. It's the Lionsgate portal. Give me a fucking break. 
Hold on. Where's Ulysses? I know it's here. Basically, he was saying, I think it was Ulysses, um, how we have to give ourselves padding. And he tells a story from Ulysses where um, a group of sailors, there is a stretch of sea that sailors would cross. And um, according to legend, there were sirens in the stretch of sea. And uh, I initially didn't know what that word meant. A couple months ago, uh, somebody brought it up to me. I'm like, what's a siren? They're like, what's a siren? It's a hot, it's a hot mermaid. It's a big tittied, dick sucking lipped, hot mermaid. And so... Think of like the hottest stripper you've ever seen with a fishtail. And so there's a bunch of sirens in this one stretch of sea. And um, Homer uh, knew that he had to pass the stretch of sea and he didn't want to give in to the temptation of the sirens like all the sailors before him because what they would do is they would go to the water, try to get some fucking mermaid puss, which where is the puss? I mean, doesn't exist. But um, that's how men think, you know? And so they just see big bouncing titties and they're like, fuck this mission that I have to do. (laughs) Fuck all this cargo that I'm shipping from one country to another. Um, And so they would go swim with the sirens and they would drown and die. And so Homer knew that. So he was like, all right. And so he had his men tie him to a part of his ship with rope so that he couldn't succumb to the temptation. And so the author is arguing like we need to figure out ways to pat ourselves like the way Homer did. So he didn't go fuck those mermaid chicks and die. You know what I mean? Um, so like, if you know yourself very well, if you wanted to quit uh, something, right? Like if you wanted to quit eating carbs, when you go to the grocery store, don't go to the grocery store hungry. Okay. That's tying yourself to the boat. So you don't fuck the mermaids and die. Or, you know, you know, not, not going to the grocery store hungry will lead you to not buy the shitty food. So in the middle of the night, you can't fucking eat it. That's tying yourself self to the ship so you don't fuck the mermaid pussy and die. Um, so it's just thinking of like ways to kind of make your life easier um, and maintain focus. And I've always felt it's just bugged me so much. Whenever a new social media platform comes out, I'm like, can we not? Can we not, you guys? So stressful. Because then all these comics are going to be like, oh, you do, you got to get on this platform. You'll blow up. And then I just get so stressed out because I'm like, that's another thing to do that I know I'm not going to do, but I'm going to say I'm going to do it so that I feel like I'm a good girl. And then I'm just going to shame myself for not doing it. And I hate it. I hate how much we're glued to our phones. I fucking hate it. It is so anti-human. It is so anti-the moment. One of the things that this author did was he took an entire summer, three months, And he went to Provincetown and he bought a phone from like Target or whatever that only got cell service to make phone calls. There was no emails. There was no text. He could not get on the internet. And he was like, I got my news from a newspaper. When we're constantly watching the news in the background on the TV at the airport or in our apartment, we have the news apps on our phone. The amount of switching focus that we do every day is more than our brain has energy for. Um, so I'm, I'm, I fucking love this book because it's, it's right up my alley and it's totally on board with my philosophy that like we are losing our ability to connect in our day-to-day interactions. And there's so much energy to be gained by having a nice interaction with the deli guy. Just fucking go into the deli and go, I just want to have a nice little interaction with this deli guy. That could just mean you smile, you know? Or whatever, but it's just something. And then you get the, the, what you gain from that is so valuable. So I just want to put it in your little ears, all y'all people listening um, and watching that uh, put your fucking phone down as I'm looking at my phone this whole fucking episode because, you know, pen and paper, what am I, a 1600s maid? Um, so yeah, that's a really good book. And then one of the other books I've been reading, um, Don Miguel Ruiz. I mean, Jesus Christ, fuck me up, Don Miguel Ruiz. He has so many books. Um, the book that I've been uh, listening to, visiting lately, is The Mastery of Self. I think that's actually by Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. That's his son. Um, but two quotes I wanted to share that fuck me up. Fuck me up, Don Miguel. We give up who we are in exchange for what we think we should be. And consequently, we end up leading a life that is not our own. Fuck me up, dumb girl. So true. And then this was my favorite quote. I am responsible for what I say. I am not responsible for what you hear. What? What? Fuck me up. I'm responsible for what I say. Every second of your life since the moment you came out of your mother's vagina or stomach, if it was a C-section, from right now 
that you're listening to me or watching me informs how you take in what I say. That ain't none of my goddamn business. Now, look, I'm somebody who I care what people think and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And if I offend somebody, I want to have a discussion about it, right? But at the same time, fuck you, you know? Because, well, not fuck you. I take that back. But if if you hear something and you take offense to it, it is based off of your history. Now, that doesn't mean that motherfuckers can't be absolutely offensive and abhorrent and just ugh, gross and slimy and weird. It's not, you know, you're not wrong for taking that wrong, right? I get offended by shit all the goddamn day. But when I'm offended by something, I go, Christina, this is poking out a little, maybe it's poking out a little cut you got. Let's look at that. Let's look at that, bitch. You got to develop an inner voice. You got to develop an inner voice in your head. I'm so, it's one of the many reasons I'm bringing this podcast back, why I'm excited to is because I feel like when I started the podcast, the first 89 episodes, the voices in my head were kind of cunts and they were just really, and I still have this energy of like, I'm okay. (laughs) I'm great. No, everything's fine. It's so good. Isn't life magical? But really, I wanted to die inside. And so now I feel like there is a direct funnel from my heart hole to my mouth hole. And it just, it feels so much better. So I feel like I can dispense much more um, potent advice. Um, Oh, dude, this fucking happened. I didn't, right. This happened to me a long time ago, but it's been a while since I recorded. I was coming back from a drum lesson. Ooh, theme. And I was walking back to my car and a teenage pigeon, you know, we never, you never see pigeons that are like baby pigeons. You always just, they're always full ass grown pigeons. And you're like, well, they didn't come out of the egg full ass grown. You just don't, I don't know. They like chill for the first year of their life. I don't know. I don't know what pigeons deals are, but uh, I was walking back to my car and this baby pigeon, baby teenage pigeon just fell. I was walking to the bridge. It fell right in front of me. Like if I kept walking, I would have stepped on it and it fell. I could tell it was, it was alive. But it had something just happened and it the bird was just like just convulsing. And I, yo, I love animals. I love birds. I love pigeons. Oh, my God. If you think they're rats with wings, go fuck yourself and revisit that. Okay, look up carrier pigeons and how smart their internal GPS is. That's way better than any fucking Google Maps, any fucking ways. I mean, they're not going to tell you when there's a speed light camera, but whatever. We don't need that. Just don't speed. Christina, but this bird fell and was just convulsing. And I just started weeping. I mean, it just, it was, I was in such a good mood and it just, oh my God, this bird. And then I looked in horror as the bird slowly opens its mouth and this deep ruby red blood just starts pouring out of his mouth. And I was like, oh my God. And I just kept saying it out loud. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And then I went to go to my car crying the whole way. And there was a a big giant construction truck blocking me in. And I asked one of the guys, I was like, Hey, I need my car. I need to get out. And he's like, all right, I'll get my guy. You okay? I'm like, this is a bird. The bird fell. There's a bird that fell in front of me and just started bleeding out. And he's like, Oh, that's tough. He was very empathetic, which I appreciated. He's like, that's tough. And I just kept going, they were here first. We're on their land. Technically we're on the land of Americans land, but, um, you know, also birds were there too. And, uh, it just, it was an awful, it, it opened up something in me, maybe a Lionsgate portal. Huh? I just thought of that just now. Anyway, I've had weird interactions with birds. One time after I saw, um, what's that fucking musical, uh, Lynn, uh, Lynn Hamilton, uh, Hamilton. Thank you, Michael. Um, I saw Hamilton with my friend and we got out of the show and we got out the exit door. It was just a bunch of fucking people, a giant bird. Like it looked like a crow. It was, it wasn't a crow, but it was, and it had like very like iridescent, like feathers flew into my leg and then bounced onto the sidewalk and then just flopped. And I was like, so almost a similar reaction. I'm like, wait, what? Why is that happening? And everyone was looking. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then it tried to like get away and fly, fly again. It was, st- oh, it was struggling. I cannot see an animal struggling. That kills my fucking soul. And it flew into my leg again. And then it flew off. And I was like, what was that? What did that mean? I was with my friend, Ryan Reese, who, if you know him, not a spiritual person. Um, no offense. I mean, not everybody is. And that's, I love, I love you, baby. But, um, he was like, I don't know, Hutch, just fucking, a bird just had an accident. It flew into you. I'm like, but I, it flew into me, 
No one else. There's a big old crowd. So maybe that's just my ego. But I've just had a lot of weird interactions with birds. I don't know what it means, but uh, you bet your ass I looked up. What's the spiritual meaning of like a bird dying in front of you? And then the internet was like, it could mean that um, everything in your life's about to be great. Or it could mean that like a lot of people are going to die. Or it could mean that your dreams are going to fail. Or it could mean that you're going to move apartments. I'm like, this fucking, these bitches, they write too many, there's too many meanings. I could have guessed any of those meanings. Give me some, I need narrowed down meanings, please. Motherfuckers. Um, you know, so that was weird. Lionsgate portal, you know what I mean? Um, all right, now I want to um, continue a segment from the last episode. This is one of my favorite segments. And it is um, reading Diane Keaton's Instagram captions. We don't have any theme music for this. Um, I don't think we should, though, because it really speaks for itself. I don't even know what the theme music would be. I could think of something. Oh, it could be like yelling music? Like, <laughs> like that? Uh, give, me, give me a few weeks. Okay. I'll think of something. Okay. I'll if you want to insert and post, Mikey, do, by all means, do it. Uh, <laughs> but whatever. Um, so um, if you remember from the last episode, Diane Keaton writes all of her Instagram captions in all caps. And so when I read them, it really feels like she's yelling. And so I'm going to do uh, a, a yell reading of Diane Keaton's Instagram captions. Don't worry. Uh, I will describe the video or photo that she's captioning. So this is um, a woman named Carol. Is a picture of an old black and white photo. Oh, Carol Kane. That's that she's an actress. Um, she's a great actress. So it's an old photo of Carol Kane with a pug in a photo studio, black and white. Carol's got a big hat on. It's probably why Diane was like game recognized game motherfucker. Yeah. I love big hats. And the caption is, isn't my dear friend, Carol Kane, beautiful. Now this is a video of a golden retriever pressing certain buttons that activate, you know, certain sentences. And, uh, Diane's caption is, always go with your gut. This is a video of Diane giving a tour of her closet. The caption is, it's better to have trashy outfits stuffed in a drawer than hanging up for all to see. (laughs) Um, This is a graphic to promote her sleep story that she's doing with the Calm app. Um, And it's a new sleep story. Glub the Mermaid, and it's a little cartoon. Oh, that's so funny. This is there's a lot of themes. Lionsgate portal. Um, it's a it's a cartoon mermaid with feet. It's a but it's like instead of a mermaid with like the titties and then the fish is the bottom half. This is a fish top half and then human legs. Um, and the caption reads: I'm excited to announce my sleep story. Glub the Mermaid is now out on at calm. It's a beautiful lesson about celebrating who we are. That's nice. And then this is a picture of a disco ball. Sometimes I wish this disco ball could replace my head. Does anybody else feel this way? I do. I get it. I fucking love that. She's so weird. (laughs) She's so weird, dude. I hope she never changes. I don't think she will. She's old. She's that's ingrained. Her, 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 the grooves are carved in her brain. Thank God. You know, it's like a museum. We need to treasure her. This is a video of Amelia Earhart and the caption reads, Amelia Earhart, the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Didn't go well though. And she hashtagged it International Women's Day. And I mean, Amelia didn't make it, you know, Uh, so it's a little embarrassing. But um, this is a photo of uh, a woman's, a close-up of a woman's lips. And it looks like she dipped them in cocaine. Um, with lipstick on and the caption reads, I love all different types of lip shapes. Okay. Um, and then this is a video of Will Ferrell, um, interacting on a late night with Stephen Colbert with a lady who brought all these exotic animals on. It's a video. And she just says, Will Ferrell is a genius. Okay. And then the last one is a, a video of Diane singing. It looks like it's from the seventies. Um, and the caption is, as you can see, I never made it as a cabaret singer, but I tried. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. That was, that was fucking riveting. You got to follow Diane Keaton on Instagram. It's at like at Diane Keaton or whatever. Um, so I just want, how much time do we got, Mikey? Uh, we're at 46. Oh, shit. Let me just fucking. Keep going. Ball sack, you know? I wanted to keep these 40. Uh, I say that every fucking time and then nope. Um, my brain just, sweep Lionsgate portal. Um, so th- I wanted to read uh, some words from this fucking book is so good. We are all addicts. 
The Soul's Guide to Kicking Your Compulsions by Carter, C-A-R-D-E-R, Stout. He has a PhD. Um, th- this chapter on alcohol and drugs I wanted to read because I've been hanging out with, I hang out with friends a lot and it involves drinking a lot of the times. And then one of the friends or me or somebody in the group will be, and it's not, it's consistent about all my groups of friends um, where we're like, Hey, maybe we should curb the drinking. And then we're like, well, we need, if you're going to curb drinking, you still need to like make it a point to hang out with your friends at night. You know what I mean? Like do a game night or something. But then I'm like, why it is much more enjoyable with drinking. Not, not that it's not enjoyable, not drinking. I am not somebody out of all the drugs and substances that I have problems with. Alcohol is not one of them, which fucking thank God, you know, give me one thing that is not a challenge. Um, and for me, it's alcohol. It's because my stomach's so sensitive that I mean, I've gotten drunk a handful of times in my life, but I, I'll just barf for hours and hours. And then it's just, I, I'm not, you know, um, so if I can't get drunk more than four times a year max. I don't even, I think it's two times a year max because I'll just throw up. I don't want to, I fucking hate throwing up. It's annoying. Um, and that fucking hangover, man, that hangover when you're just dry heaving all day, I haven't had that in a, in a minute, but, oh, just, if you want to put me in hell, give me five shots of vodka on an empty stomach and hell shall commence. Um, so what? No, it's, it's a, that is a lot of alcohol. It's a lot of alcohol. When I was at Penn State, I went to Penn State for my first year of college. I was 18. I was tiny, tiny little gal. And I was so, this was right after, the day before I moved to Penn State, my mom uh, attempted suicide and then told me it's because I didn't need her anymore. So I was coming off of that, you know? So I was like really excited to just get shit-faced as often as possible. And so what we would do in my dorm at Penn State is we would have this whole routine. We would get one of the seniors to buy us very cheap vodka, Vladdy's, Vladimir Vodka, tastes like nail polish remover. And uh, we would get the bottle, lock the dorm room doors. I would get the juices, the cranberry juice and the orange juice. We would literally, on an empty stomach, because we're like, we know these frat houses aren't going to have liquor because they're fucking lame as hell. They're going to have PBR. I don't want that shit. So we were like, we just got to do our drinking now and then go out. We, I would, little 118 pound me, 18 year old Christina, who's just trying to forget that her mom's life depended on her needing her mom just wanted to get absolutely trash. And I would, we would do five shots of vodka in a fucking row and just go out into the night. How I didn't get murdered or assaulted. I don't know. Like the, I did, I maybe blacked out a couple times in my life. Definitely that like, there's definitely at least one night that year that I blacked out. Um, I would make out with people in the streets. I'm like, Hey, you're hot. He's like, you're hot too. And then we just keep walking. And I was like, wow, life is so beautiful. Um, but yeah, so I'm very happy to report that my alcohol consumption is, is, is minimal. Um, but this is a really interesting point because alcohol, almost everybody's affected by alcohol. Even if you don't drink, I feel like alcohol also affects you in that your social situations, like you gotta, you gotta do the explaining. Why don't you drink? Oh, you want to drink? Oh, you want to drink? Just fucking let the person not drink. You know, maybe they got a DUI or maybe, maybe they're happy with themselves. It could happen. There could be somebody in the world that is. Um, Okay. So he says in this chapter six of this book, Alcohol and Drugs, spirits that are aged in a barrel for 100 years, wines that deliver a woodsy aromatic bouquet, amber beers from the neighborhood microbrewery that are all the talk of the town. People love their brand, their flavor, their type. Goddamn right. I love bullet whiskey. Although I did hear the CEO was like, me too. So maybe I shouldn't say that out loud, but I did. Uh, But it is what alcohol does to the mind that captivates most of us as we seek it out to make us feel different. Goddamn, let's just cut to me at Penn State going, we're never going to die. Many people use it as a release to bulldoze their inhibitions and celebrate their accomplishments. Drinking can be a way to connect with others, reveal our true feelings, and enhance a Saturday afternoon. I can't drink during the day. uh, With revelry and laughter. There is no harm in any of these pursuits. Quite the contrary. Psychologically, it is healthy to let your hair down from time to time and not take yourself seriously. 
The occasional use of alcohol, if handled with precaution, which nobody I know does it like that, can be a good way to let loose or relax. If it is not the alcohol, okay, and then I'm going to skip around a little bit. If it's not the alcohol that poses the problem or the threat, what does, because talking about like people having an alcohol problem, I've heard it argued multiple times in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that the person, not the alcohol, is the culprit, that alcoholics are not built like other people. This AA theory is based on the premise that alcoholics have tendencies that others do not. For example, self-centeredness, dishonesty, and a controlling nature. I find this premise to be short-sighted and suspiciously too pat. I have found that most people have these qualities to some degree, and they have nothing to do with their alcohol consumption. AA also states that alcohol alcoholism is a disease. I would argue, and this is very interesting, I've heard this take a couple times, I would argue that when someone is in the midst of an addictive cycle fueled by obsessive thoughts and compulsive actions, they're certainly in a state of dis-ease. But there's no disease of the mind here, just a buildup of harmful energy that powers repetitive behaviors. And that makes me think of all the drunks that I've met in my years of living that just some people, man, when they get drunk, they're criers. Some people, when they get drunk, they get mad at you for something they didn't, you didn't even do. And then some people, when they get drunk, they get fucking mean, like a different person. But you you see it. You're like, this is real dark. Like the look in your eyes is real dark. And I know the you coming out right now, it's you buried it under a hole and you drank a little bit and that hole kind of has cracks now and he's peeking out. Um, addictive thinking is propelled by the idea that the alcohol is soothing medicine that alleviates our emotional pain. But wait, it does. The fact is that life on earth is no cakewalk. You're telling me, Carter. Most people experience some kind of suffering every day, whether it is physical pain, emotional discomfort, insecurity, fear, doubt, or dissatisfaction. Yes, the suffering of humanity is palpable. Just turn on the news and you will see examples of it. But people don't usually drink because they witness someone else's pain. It is their own pain that drives them to drink. (gasps) This emotional strife is archetypal and can be found in the earliest myths of folklore we have on record. Human beings have always suffered immensely. I mean- It's just nice to hear other people say that because that's what I've always thought. But I'm like, I just thought I was being dramatic, you know? Um, Trauma is a concept that is often misconstrued and thought of in physical context. We may consider trauma to be the result of a catastrophic event, an earthquake, a hurricane, the lived experience of war, sexual abuse, your mom trying to kill yourself the night before you moved to Penn State. While these certainly fit in the category of trauma, there are many forms that are more subtle and universal. Emotional trauma is a prevalent force behind the addictive cycles that fuel the compulsive consumption of alcohol. People often dismiss this type of trauma, but I assure you it is real. Oh, don't worry. I also assure you that it is also very fucking real. It may be the product of our childhoods, probably, and the negative experiences we internalize growing up. A baby who is neglectfully left in the crib without constant attention and love will feel trauma. That's why I didn't leave that baby for one second during that hour. I got you, Goldie. We're going to dance and hang out every second you're in my apartment. A child who has narcissistic parents or parents who are consumed by their own confusion and suffering will feel trauma. Thank you. Thank you, Carter. I feel very validated. An adolescent who is bullied, left out, teased, and shamed on being different will experience trauma. Any moment in our lives that we feel dismissed like last night when I was on stage, abandoned, like my whole life with my mom, rejected, also my whole life with my mom, or judged unfairly, same old childhood, we are encountering a traumatic situation. Unlike other emotions that come and go, trauma stays. We do not have the capacity to release it, and this makes us vulnerable. With all this trauma floating around in the psyche, we may feel displaced, uneasy, and even depressed. We carry a a heavy load of negative emotion, and the effects are devastating. Negative thoughts about ourselves are a trauma response that may ultimately constellate into limiting beliefs, which create a false narrative about our value. Just fucking let that sink in, okay? We create a story about who we are according to the complicated moments of our lives. My God. I mean, I feel like he's just yelling at me this whole book. This is an archetypal pattern that you will find with most everyone who is caught in an addictive cycle. We all have these beliefs, even though we may not be aware of them, which is a fucked up part. And then we drink and they come out and you're like, why are you a different person? They're like, I was always this. The most common beliefs that I hear from my patients are deeply rooted in their own history. I hear them say, I don't feel like I'm good enough or I'm never going to be happy. That's just the way it is. Or I'm not smart. 
all untrue, by the way. Limiting beliefs create gaps in our uh, physiological immune system that may allow the energy of addiction to penetrate our core. Now, I love getting penetrated, but not by the energy of addiction, okay? Recently, I treated a 35-year-old, this feels personal. Recently, I treated a 35-year-old woman who was struggling with mixed anxiety and addiction. She had a good job, made plenty of money, was in a loving relationship with her husband, and had a gaggle of close friends. Check, check, check. This feels very personal. On the outside, it would appear that her life was enviable, wonderful even, but on the inside, her beliefs were standing in the way of her happiness. Although she had amassed a number of things that would traditionally lead to fulfillment, she was constantly burdened by a feeling of inferiority that her life would never amount to anything. When she received validation from her husband or colleagues at work, she never really believed them. Now pay attention to that, guys. If we we always throw around like, <clears throat> oh, so hold on. That was the energy of addiction coming up. Like if someone's bad at taking compliments, oh, you're so bad at taking compliments. You're so humble. It's not humble, it's not humility. Like if someone says, a compliment and then your inner thought is they're lying you gotta look at that you gotta take a magnifying glass to that okay not with a that don't put the booze away for a second there were uh, their words could not penetrate the fortress of low self-esteem that had been erected around her soul fuck she also mistrusted the motives of others and felt like the rug could be pulled out from under her feet at any moment She actually expected it to be, and the fear became overwhelming. But no one knew about any of this as she was afraid to reveal her true feelings, even to her husband. (sighs) Been there, my friends. Well, I've never had a husband, so. Mm. She felt that he might leave her if she showed her vulnerability. (sighs) Not me, bitch. I'll fucking be vulnerable as hell. If you're still around, honestly, that's impressive. She began drinking every night. She started with wine at dinner, but over time, a glass had turned into a bottle. At first, she believed that it lightened lightened her mood, but she began to have panic attacks in the morning. The wine remained, and she soon added bourbon before dinner and hid a flask in her desk that she nipped at every hour. Whenever she was overcome by fear, she felt that the bottle was her only ally. The alcohol soothed her in the moment, but the negative feelings came back. They always do. She was honest with, she wasn't honest with her husband and told no one except me about her drinking. (sighs) Yo, that's another thing, you know, that you're a sign of addiction is if you don't tell other people about it. I, I advised her that she alone had the ability to heal herself and that when she did, the addictive cycle would vanish. And it did. We had to dig for a while to find out what her negative and limiting beliefs were. But when we found them, it all made sense. She had grown up in a middle-class family. Her father worked long hours and was rarely home. Her mother was clinically depressed. Again, this feels very personal. But never diagnosed and took no medication for her ailment. That's not personal. From a very early age, my patient took care of her mother. After school, she would try to wake her mother from a perpetual afternoon nap. Oh my God, this is exactly my life. She would comb her hair and make her food. (laughs) I'm like, is this this guy in my home? She wanted nothing more than to make her mother feel better, but her mother rarely cracked a smile. Jesus fucking Christ. It was clear that she had experienced significant emotional trauma as a child and even into her adulthood. She spoke of never feeling safe. She related an incident when she was seven years old, one of the first memories she could recall. She woke up on a Saturday morning. She knew that her father was at work. And when she went downstairs, there was no sign of her mother. She called out to her mother, searched every room in the house, but she was nowhere. She was frightened and had no idea what to do. She didn't know how to use the telephone to call her father and did not know that the, uh, the neighbors well enough to ask for help. She sat on the kitchen floor, terrified for an hour until her mother returned from the grocery store. Oh, fucking mom just left her? Sweet. Her mother belittled the incident and said that it was no big deal, that she was a big girl and old enough to take care of herself. <sighs> from this point forward, she was afraid of being left alone. She told me that she felt like her parents did not care about her. We identified two limiting beliefs that began at age seven. One was that she felt unwanted and so never believed she was good enough. And that's why I'm really excited to get my eyebrows done tomorrow because really subconsciously, if we're getting real deep with it, I just feel like maybe I'll be good enough if my eyebrows don't look like lightning bolts. The other was that she never felt safe. Not feeling safe, not feeling valuable or trusting of others are two common beliefs 
that many of my patients share, regardless of the type of emotional trauma they've endured in childhood. It is remarkable how many adults feel this way, but the prevalence of these beliefs does not make them true. So you guys just got to dig, man. If you're a fucking alcoholic, first of all, it's cool. A lot of people are. A lot of people. A lot of people are functioning alcoholics. You could be a fucking functioning heroin addict. I didn't know that until not that long ago. Um, and uh, you're usually hiding something. If you're drinking, what are you running from? Something in you. Okay. Figure that out. And just look back at your roots, you know? I know we're discussing childhood trauma a lot, but it's, I think that's really good. Like the word narcissism gets thrown around a lot. And maybe people have like narcissistic tendencies, but they're not like textbooky narcissists. But the childhood trauma thing, it also gets thrown around a lot. But I will argue that that's a very good thing because I think 85% of the human population has some significant childhood trauma that they're just now starting to look at. So um, good for us. Congratulations on not killing yourself, guys. Um, I was honored to be the voice in your head for the last hour and six minutes and 40 seconds. How long was that? Six minutes, hour and, no, hour and two minutes and Damn. 19 seconds. Wow. I was just going to, I just, I was like, well, how you cool would it be? You confused me with the question. I was how like, How cool what? would it have been if I predicted exactly how much time I've been recording? Because then I'm like, oh, Lionsgate Portal is activating my psychic abilities. But not yet. Not yet. But thank you guys for being here. I'm really excited uh, to be back and I'll talk to you next Monday. 